All right, it looks like I'm alive. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, again. Uh, I just jumped over from my last video going through the uh, our Torah portions and the episode with Yaakov and, and Leah and Rachel Laban, all that kind of, all that good stuff. So I'm trying to recollect myself here. I think I need a quick drink of coffee. I'm really excited to go through this book. I imagine we'll get through the, well, I'm hoping we get through the first three chapters tonight just because the picture you see here and the thumbnail I chose is actually the third chapter. It's a pretty good description of the third chapter. And a quick introduction with this book, the book of creation. Let me scroll down here so you guys can see it. Okay, book of creation. Now, this comes from the Colburn. For those of you who are part of my, it's also called the Colburn Bible. I don't like to call it the Colburn Bible just because I don't want to make it, I don't want to confuse people with it. This is not the Bible, okay? Though, you know, Bible is just book, right? Uh, I went through, you get, You guys may have come through the, the the Book of Britson series with me and the Book of Wisdom. Those are found towards the end of Colburn. Colburn is a big book. I should hold it up for you guys. I'm in a, in a, my office right now, a hotel room, and I don't have it on me. Uh, so the first half of the book is thousands of years old, very ancient. It was supposedly written around the time of the Hebrews uh, while they were kind of right after the Exodus. And it was supposedly written in Egypt. Uh, and it's recounting biblical events from the Egyptian perspective. It's really fascinating. The second half of the book was written in Britain. It was written uh, after Joseph uh, or Yosef Arama, Joseph of Arimathea, arrived, and he is referred to as the father of the faith. And so it's after his influence came in and you know his teachings that kind of created the religion there. And uh, the, the, the Druids uh, who were kind of involved with the last half and became the disciples of Yosef of Rama, uh, they said, I, I've given this introduction with the Book of Ritz, and they said that they, were, they came from Egypt and they were the Yahudim. So it's really interesting. So it's kind of mysterious, this book. Um, now, I want to make clear here that what I'm about to read, I'm not calling this scripture, right, guys? This is not scripture. So nobody has to have a heart attack. Nobody has to freak out if they see something here they don't like if there's something you don't like here just let's think about it you know let's just kind of maybe put it on the shelf you know just you know give it considerate thought and go like you know what are they you know there there may be some things that may be in conflict with scripture okay then it's in conflict i want you guys to know that i am always going to put the torah first all right the the revelation that yahuwah gave to moshe uh i'm gonna put the tanakh first okay but there's a lot of events that happen in the world, right? Mount Sinai is not it, right? Like that's not the only thing that was happening in the world. You guys, you get my drift, right? And even when you're going through Genesis, through the from Adam to Noah, gives a lineage, but it's not giving all the world events, right? So there's other things that happen, and we're going to see some of this stuff. So let's get right into this. Book of Creation, as you can see here, the following book is lifted from a public domain manuscript. Just so we're clear on that. Uh, the Colbrand is a very, very old book. Here's all the chapters. Well, well, creation, the birth of man, destruction, recreation. Hopefully we'll get through that tonight. Unfortunately, my coffee is cold. I'm, I'm running on cold coffee. And once I finish this, this is it. Chapter one, creation. Now, just so you guys know, uh i would i would recommend uh if 
if anyone wanted to, to watch the uh, the first Torah portion I did a couple months ago, uh, Bereshith chapter one, where I went through the Paleo Hebrew and I showed that uh, and I was going by uh, Miss Pamela's translation. I don't know if she is here right now live uh, in the room, but uh, she did a great job of showing how very few creation words are used. And actually, Genesis one is a recreation account, right? It's it, the world was completely destroyed, and we're going to see that tonight. We're going to see what the world looked like beforehand, how it was completely destroyed, and then there was a replanting again, reseeding and regerminating, and so on and so forth. Mortal knowledge is circumcised by mortal ignorance, and mortal comprehension is circumscri uh, circumscribed by spiritual reality. It is unwise for mortal man to attempt the understanding of that which is beyond his conception, for there lies the road of disbelief and madness yet man is man and ever fated to reach out beyond himself striving to attain things which always just elude his grasp so in his frustration he replaces the dimly seen incomprehensible things with things within his understanding if these things but poorly reflect reality then it is not the reflection of reality distorted though it may be of greater value than no reflection at all so what i think what they're saying here is that we all desire to know the unknown. Well, I can't, I think that if you guys are listening, you're probably in that elite group. You want to, you desire to know, you want to know, right? And so you're reaching out beyond your understanding. We're reaching into things that, you know, it is, it, you know, out there, right? And even if it's a, they're saying that even if what we're able to grasp is a, a, a frail reflection of ultimate reality, it's better than no uh, reflection at all. You get my drift? So like, you know, we're ultimately, we're going to hopefully spend all of eternity learning and seeking these things out, right? The mysteries and this kind of stuff going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. We're not going to get it all right now. There are no true beginnings on earth. Mm. For here, all is effect. The ultimate cause being elsewhere, all right? So what is the cause right there's a cause and effect they just said that right here what is the cause the cause is the divine everything that is on this earth emanates from him so in that sense if the earth is just emanating coming from the divine they're saying that yeah it it goes back really back to the divine itself for whom among men can say which came first the seed or the plant that's <laughs> funny because i would say the chicken or the egg right so apparently they they've been Back before it was the chicken or the egg, it was they were asking, was it the seed or the plant that came first? Keep in mind, this is from Egypt, right? Yet in truth, it is neither, for something neither something neither seed nor plant preceded both, and that thing was also preceded by something else. There are always ancestors back to the beginning, and back beyond that, there is only Allah Hayyam. This then is how these things were told in the great book of the sons of fire. So it's saying that ultimately, you know, everything originates from the divine. That's why it, it doesn't matter which came first, the chicken or the egg. Both, the chicken and the egg both came from the divine, right? So that came first. It's always, that is the that is the answer to the riddle, the divine. The divine came first, even if it's not in the question. Before the beginning, there was only one consciousness, that of the eternal one whose nature cannot be expressed in words. It was the one soul spirit, the self-generator, which cannot diminish. 
the unknown, unknowable one, brooding solitary in profound, pregnant silence. I love that that phrase. I I I like like pregnant pause, right? But here it says pregnant silence. And in this, so in this actual silence, there are you know thoughts that are germinating and that they materialize, right? In the in the just the eternal silence of the one that is unknown, the divine, what we call our father, the father of all, Ruakov. The name which is uttered cannot be that of this great being who, remaining nameless, is the beginning and the end, beyond time, beyond the reach of morals, and we in our simplicity call it, no, I added this, Allah Hayam. Let me explain what I added. It said God, all right? So I put in the Hebrew here, we've been going through the paleo, the father is Allah Hayam, and his son is Yahuwah, right? So, and of course, Allah Hayam is, they're, they're kind of right here, right? It, they're saying that he, he remains nameless it, because it's like a name cannot describe him, right? He might go by many names, but a name cannot really describe who he is. And this is why he's called Elohim or God or Allah Hayam, right? He who preceded all existed alone in his strange abode of uncreated light, which remains, see, isn't that interesting? The light was not created, uncreated light, which remains ever unextinguishable and no understandable eye can ever behold it the pulsating droughts of the uh yeah droughts of the eternal life light in his keeping were not yet loosed he knew himself alone he was uncontrasted unable to manifest in nothingness for all within his being was unexpressed potential the great circles of eternity were yet to be spun out to be thrown forth as the endless ages of existence and substance. They were to begin with Allah Hayam and return to him completed in infinite variety and expression. So let me just say this again. They were, so everything emanates, come, comes forth uh, from, so we can think about like the, the great circles of eternity. Um, we can think of like the firmament. Uh, there's actually uh, they talk about the three circles in other books um and how there's the lower realm the upper realm and then the realm itself the, the firmament itself and that everything comes from the higher realm down here and the idea is is that the our goal down here is to seek them out to seek out the divine to become more like the divine and, and to discover the divine and ultimately return to him right makes sense that's what they're saying here this is all of course, a test. We're down here to be chastised and to learn and to and to overcome. Earth was not yet in existence. There were no winds with, with the sky above them. High mountains were not raised, nor was the great river in its place. All was formless, without movement, calm, silent, void, and dark. So there it is right there. It's the chaos and the void, right? It's just like a I don't, you can't even call it like a mound of clay, right? It's just, it's just, it's just chaos. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's like, oh, say it's kind of like a vacuum, I guess, right? No name had been named, and no destinies foreshadowed. Eternal rest is intolerable. An unmanifested potential is frustration. So, uh, Al Hayam is an artist, right? He wants to create. So it would be, uh, it. it the, it says eternal rest, right? So 
six days were to work, one were to rest. But if you were to rest for seven days and just keep resting, that would become intolerable, right? It's great one day a week, but then, you know, you, you have this, as it says, unmanifest uh, and unmanifested potential, which is frustration. Into the solitude of timelessness came divine loneliness. And from this arose a desire to create, that he might know and express himself. And this generated the love of Allah Hayyam. He took thought and brought into being within himself the universal womb of creation containing the everlasting essence of slumbering spirits. So in the very beginning, uh, I've talked about how this earth is a womb under the firmament. It's like I think of the firmament like it's like the belly and we're in it. We're just dating in here, awaiting, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, getting to the point of our of our second birth, right? We're born of water and then spirits. And that's being born again. When we go above the firmament, we ascend above it. And, uh, and so in the very beginning, you know, he created, he's the father of Rukov. He created the spirits in the beginning. With the thought of birthing them within the womb of the earth. The essence was quickened by a ripple from the mind of Allah Hayyam, and a creative thought was projected. This generated power, which produced light. But remember, the light was not created. It was already there. But, it, uh, but he produced light. And this formed a substance like into a mist of invisible dust. It divided into two forms of energy, though, through being, through, through being impregnated within the spirit of Allah Hayyam and quickening the chaos of the void within the universal womb, became spun out into the whirlpools of substance. From this activity, as sparks from a fire, came an infinite variety of spirit minds, each having creative powers within itself. And of course, um, yeah, I won't go into that too much right now, but I've, I've mentioned many times how we are in ourselves, we have we are little creators with creative minds. And you know, ultimately, whether we recognize it or not, you know, the, the Coburn talks about how all this material realm is an ultimately illusion. You're going to get a little bit more sense of that tonight. But, uh, but you know, it's our thoughts and our words and our, our actions that actually ultimately manifest the, the, the molecules around us, right? And making them beautiful shapes or ugly shapes, right? So we can be evil creators or good creators. The, activate, the activating word was spoken. It echoes, vibrates still. And there was a stirring movement which caused instability. A command was given, and, the, and this became the everlasting law. Henceforth, activity was controlled in harmonious rhythm, and the initial inertia was overcome. The law divided the materializing chaos from Allah Hayyam and then established the boundaries of the eternal spheres. Time no longer slipped on the bosom of Allah Hayyam, for now there was change, where before all had been unchanging and change is time. Now within the universal womb was heat, substance, and life, and encompassing it was the word, which is the law. Isn't that really interesting, right? So they're talking here about what would ultimately become the logos. And of course, you know, the word, we know, we know Yahusha HaMashiach is the word, and what is the word? The Torah, right? The Torah is the law. So it's really interesting here how there's this, they're talking about this heavenly law and that, you know, it's the word that encompasses everything. It's really interesting that he has a part in this. The command was given, let the smallest of things form the greatest and that which lives but a flash from everlastingness. Thus, the universe came into being as a condensation of Allah Hayyam's thoughts 
and as it did so, it obscured him from all enclosed within his solidifying creation. So remember, the, the firmament is like, as Paul would say, like a mirror darkly or a glass darkly, right? So you, he has obscured himself from us in the dark water above. And he, he closed it off, put a firmament there. Uh, henceforth, Allah Hayyam was hidden, for he has always remained dimly reflected in his creation. I think that's spot on. I mean, his all his all his creation, everything comes from him. You know, you cut open a tree, and there he is in it. Uh, and we could see the the nature itself had these laws and these rules and these actions that to reflect him. But it's it's all you know, it's all the point to him. But it's and it all comes from him. But it dimly reflects him. It's not you know, it can't see his true glory. You know, his ultimate glory. For he has always remained dimly reflected in his creation. He became veiled from all that came forth from him. Creation does not explain itself under the law. It cannot do so. Its secrets have to be unraveled by the created. That's really interesting. I mean, this is talking about like science right there, right? The world is a very mysterious place. It's a place waiting to be discovered. And, you know, it's, it's slowly unraveled for us, right? I mean, here we are. You're watching me on a computer right now, right? which came through the mysteries of nature. All things that are by nature finite, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. An unaccomplishable purpose would be eternal frustration, and therefore the universe being created purposefully, it must have an objective. As you guys know, for those of you who've been following through the Book of Wisdom and the Book of Britain, it's all about the meaning of life. And it all has purpose, and it can all be explained. The meaning, of, the meaning of life is not that mysterious. If it ended without anything else following, then the Allah Hayyam existing must slumber indifferent to its activities. But he has made it a living work of greatness operating under the changeless law. And I love that. The changeless law, right? Uh, Yahusha HaMashiach, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the Torah. He's, he is unchanging. The law doesn't change. The creating word had been spoken. Now there was another command, and the power going forth smote the sun so its face was lit, and it shone with a great radiance pouring warmth and light upon its sister earth. Henceforth she would live within the protection of her brother's household, rejoicing in his benevolence and strength. It's really interesting there that um, they call the sun the brother of the earth. Um, you know, this is coming from Egypt, right? And it just reminds me of, I'll say it, Osiris and Iris, an Isis. Uh, but in other places, now this book here, the writers of this book, just so everyone knows, they're completely against sun worship. I mean, they 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 talk about arrogant people who, you know, they they worship idols and these things, and that that's not the creator, that's not Allah Hayyam, and they they say that, and that the 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 sun itself is this brilliant light that is still a dim light compared to the creator. Like it's, it's made to reflect them, but it's, as they would say in the Colbert, it the sun is made to, to show us what is greater beyond the firmament. All right. Um, uh, did I read this? Henceforth, she would live with, within the protection of her brother's household, rejoicing in his benevolence and strength. The waters upon the bosom of earth were gathered together and dry land appeared. So this is sounding a lot like Genesis 1. Now we're going to see the same process through Genesis 1. 
but I'm telling you that this is actually before, like this is the world before the destruction and the recreation, all right? But we're seeing the same pattern. So the, the dry land appears, the water submerges, the dry land comes up. When the covering of water was rolled back, the body of earth was unstable, damp, and yielding, as it would be if it came out of the water. The face of the sun shone down kindly upon his sister, and the dry land of her body became very hard. Humidity and dampness were taken away. He gave her a garment of fleece and a veil of fine linen that she might clothe her body with modesty. From the great womb had sprung the spirit of life, and it was rampant in the heavens. It gazed upon earth and saw her fairness and filled with desire and came out of the heavenly spaces to possess her. It came not peacefully as a lover, but te uh, tempestuously as a ravager. Its breath howled along her quarters and raged among her mountaintops, but it did not discover the dwelling place of her spirit. She had withdrawn as a woman withdraws before force, for modesty must not be outraged in submission. Yet she desired its embrace, for among all the radiant company she was honored. The sun saw her perplexity and wrestled with the spirit of life and overcame it. It was subdued and the primal struggle had ceased. It was delivered by the sun to his sister. It was chastened and quietened and in silence brooded over earth's waters. She was stirred in response. Mud eggs of life potential were formed in swamps. Now, this is kind of interesting. So they just, it, they didn't ask like what came first, the chicken or the egg, but they just showed you the eggs, right? The eggs appear, all right? Uh, but that's not to say that the eggs, the sun, the earth, everything did not come from the divine first, right? Now, remember now in Genesis chapter one, that the animals originally, the, the, the reptiles, they came out of the swamps and out of the water, right? kind of interesting so there's these eggs that are planted mud eggs of potential uh, life potential were formed in swamps at the meeting place of land in two waters the sun gave quickening heat and life crawled forth upon the bosom of the earth the land dust brought forth the male and the dark water mist the female and they united and multiplied the first brought forth the second and the two produced the third Earth was no longer virgin, and the spirit of life grew old and departed. Now, for my viewers out there, I, I've been, I was asking myself over and over again, who is the spirit of life? I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, this doesn't read like the Ruach Kakadesh to me, all right? I could be wrong. Maybe you can put it in the comments. Now, keep in mind, there's, remember, there, from, there, there's seven spirits of Allah Hayam alone, right? In, in revelation and those uh, spirits also show up in uh isaiah or uh so you know i don't know what's going on there um and they keep saying it too and i would i would like to i wish i could i don't know i wish i could i feel like maybe that's the translator bias they just say it's because i feel like it's either male masculine or feminine and they're not telling us uh <clears throat> Earth was left garbed in the matron's mantle of green. Herbage covered the face of the land, right? So now the trees are coming up, right? Just like the creation story in Genesis. The water has brought forth fishes and creatures which move about and twist themselves and wriggle in the waters. The serpents and the beasts of terrible aspect, which were of yore, 
and reptiles which creep and crawl. There were, there were tall walking things and dragons and hideous form clothed with terror whose great bones may still be seen. Now, I just realized I made a horrible mistake. And um, I want to pull up this other document here. Give me one second, guys. Um, I'm going to... Okay. Well, you still got me for a moment here. You got a blank screen. But I realized what I did wrong here. I was like, man, I knew that this was not right. Right. So give me a second here. There we go. All right. Hmm. Here it is. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's go back through here. All right. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, yeah, I know what I did wrong. Yeah, man, I skipped over so much. All right. So let's start here again from the, this is from the Legends of the Jews, volume one. And I thought this was, now, for those of you who don't know what the Legends of the Jews is, it's a, we actually sell it in our store. It's a, it's a four volume compilation and it goes through the, the, it just compiles all these extra biblical books, uh, including Jasher and stuff, and it puts them into one document. And, um, and so look, look what this says about the creation of the world. This is fascinating. Nor is this world inhabited by man, the first of things earthly created by Elohim. He made several worlds before ours, but he destroyed them all because he was pleased with none until he created ours. Isn't that interesting? So they're saying that Genesis 1, according to this, in the, in the Legends of Jews, was not the first one. There were several before him, and he just kept destroying them. Well, why? Why, why was he pleased with ours? We'll find out. Uh, but even this last world would have no had no permanence if Elohim had executed his original plan of ruling it according to the principle of strict justice. Remember with Noah's flood, he, it was just what he did. He destroyed the world. It was only when he saw that justice by itself would undermine the world that he associated mercy with justice and made them to rule jointly. So, you know, he needed, he needed, he needed grace, right? We, we, need, we need grace. We need mercy for our transgression. We deserve to be wiped out. But that obviously would not work. Because he can't give free will to create. He, he needs to give free will. It's so important. But every single time, it's just going to end in destruction. It was only when he saw that justice by itself would undermine the world that he associated mercy with justice and made them to join, uh, rule jointly. Thus, from the beginning of all things prevailed divine goodness, without which nothing could have continued to exist. If not for it, the myriads of evil Ruachoth had, had soon put an end to the generations of men. But the goodness of Elohim has ordained that in every Nisan, at the time, uh, Nisan would be the, um, the, the spring uh, beginning of the year, the, the month we get uh, Passover in, at the time of the spring equinox, the seraphim shall approach the world of spirits and intimidate them so that they fear to do harm to men. Okay. Uh, and then, um, so I wanted you to see there that uh, even according to religions of the Jews, there were multiple worlds beforehand. I kind of speculate we are the seventh. It's kind of like, you know, the perfect number, right? The, the, the you get into we're getting into the eighth world here with the completion the eighth great day and then we see here from the book of origins now the book of origins uh, this is also to be found in the Colburn. this is on the britain and we, we started with the egyptian this kind of starts the british in 
And this is the British perspective of the same story that we're reading right now. So this is called Concerning the World Birth. Now, this is really going to trip you guys up. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this. Pausing for a cold, cup of cold coffee, though. This is an unhappy time of strife and change. And the old folk knowledge and skills are passing away like leaves fall, falling on flowing water. Now, this is an ancient book. And they're saying, like, yeah, our ancient knowledge, like what we're about to talk to you about, like, we have very little of it left. I mean, think about where we are today, right? We of the uh, Gwynodad are therefore gathered together to the shield of her wheel for the purpose of preserving the things dear to our hearts. To do this, we firstly discover their biding places and secondly commit into writing all the hallowed tales concerned with them. Also, as the mortal memories of men perish with their frail bodies, we deem it well to commit into book writing the old knowledge once written in our minds. Behind us lie 14 earth generations of mankind, and this has been the manner of their naming, the generation of lights, the generation of fire. So they, they, we are, believe it or not, we already covered, I think, the first two, the generation of light, the generation of fire, um, the generation of water, the generation of grass, the generation of trees, the generation of wood, the generation of stone, and all these together are the blissful generations. Let me see here. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Kind of interesting. So it kind of matches the creation week there too. It seems to progress uh, pretty much so. If you were to take even a, a creation day to an age, I won't debate that here, but I don't really know. I wasn't there. Uh, then followed the generation of the spear, the generation of the axe, the generation of the shield, the generation of the sword. Those don't sound good. The generation of the bow, the generation of the helmet, and the generation of the chariot. And all these together are the homeless generations. Uh, it sounds like they have a lot of knowledge here. They, they talk about the fitting knowledge. They're talking about things like, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about here. They obviously have these in their books or whatever. The years before us contain six full earth generations and whatever remains of this generation of change. Each of the past earth generations were three times the length of the one which followed it. Men ask, as men always will, how the widespread wonderful world came into being and whose were the feet first treading the good soil upon it this masters is the old tale concerning the dawn time of life handed down from the blissful morning days of earth's existence before time was born it could be conceived before all things seeable by the darting eyes of men were seen by any eye they were conceived before sound was heard by any listening ear it was all conceived so who's conceiving it? The divine, right? In his, in his aloneness, you know, in the silence, in his own might, he's conceiving all these things. Basically, like, uh, you know, all things now knowable by man were first conceived by none but the inconceivable one, existing solitary and awesome loneliness. Back in the pre-dawn state, there was no feeling, throbbing, loving life beyond the alone one. There was nothing in which something other could be perceived and manifested. The inconceivable one's reflecting mirror was not yet made. So what is the reflecting mirror? His creation. Love, the sunlight of life, could not be known. For even one so great could not yet conceive a state of satisfaction and self-love. The one thing not capable of conception was the realization of responsible love. Now, this is something we, you know, it's just, 
even these ancient writers, it's just, it's the unfathomable, they call him the unfathomable one because he is. I mean, it's like for before time, he, he just was, it was just him. He had no beginning. And we're like, how could that be? You know, and it just, it, that's just until creation came, right? He was alone. That's the, it's a great title for him, the unconceivable one. We cannot conceive in our minds uh, the creator, the divine what that was like for just forever so from the inconceivable one there came a great outpouring melody this is what really tripped me out guys i hope you guys are paying attention to this and enjoy what i'm about to read he starts singing all right so think about a song and how songs are vibrations we read earlier tonight about the the hit the, the invisible things that came out those are like atoms right and what within atoms are quarks and when the quarks vibrate when they do this is why they talk elsewhere in the Colburn about how this whole world the womb of the earth is an illusion it's their way of saying it's the matrix right technically I'm not going to do this on camera because I can't but technically we should be able to walk through the walls and that's what spirits do and that's what resurrected bodies do. they just walk through walls and we should be able to do that but it's it's I guess just our mortal minds like maybe we can't we don't know how we can't perceive it we're trapped in these bodies but even again this is all just a reflection of the divine song everything that materializes so let me keep reading the song of conception the notes winging vitalizing consciousness outward and radiating ripples all that is now existing came out of that out of out of the divine singing the ink the the inconceivable one he opens his mouth and sings a song which was harmoniously sung into being and the sweet echoing vibrations still sound and rhythm throughout the many circles of existence all life and matter vibrate in response to a divinely originated orchestrated melody and rhythm it reminds me of um reading this reminds me of the beach boy songs good vibrations and frankly uh, Brian Wilson, who wrote that, he uh, the story is, is that when he was a boy, he used to hear, he used to be afraid of dogs when they would bark. And he would hear them bark and he would listen to their vibrations. And he would call those bad vibrations. And he didn't like to hear the bad vibrations. And so he wanted to uh, think of good vibrations. And when you listen to the songs, they're, they're manifesting this like a, it's almost like a divine woman. I mean, she's just this like glowing in the sunlight woman right and it's these good vibrations that are that are creating her manifesting this vision of her and this is you know so this is where i say that we're all of us are little creators we speak and we create with our words as we speak you know and we see like water molecules and you know plants wither and die or grow healthier you know that the world around us depends on you know we either choose the blessing or the curse we can play the part of uh, the, the divine creator and seeing beautiful things or we can be like Hasatan and speak evils and things and creation will wither and die as the sweet notes of the divine uh lilting music swelled outward heaven was formed from the song created radiance of immortal light rising on a higher note of ever-increasing splendor into a great pulsating chorus it hurled forth a whole string of worlds scattering them and illuminating brilliance through a black matrix of kid 
It was like a handful of bright pearls being thrown into the darkness of night. I'll be shout out honest here. Like the, the, the trans, I would like to get my hands on the older version because I'm telling you right now that like maybe the translators are going to listen to this. I don't know, but like they're, they're making this a little bit too Copernican. I'll be honest because the, the Egyptians, they didn't talk like this. Uh, it was like a handful of bright pearls being thrown into the darkness of night. Okay, so you know they're they're basically saying they're they're talking about the stars here, right? They're being they're thrown into the they're like the pearls being put in the the dark of the firmament. In a perfectly timed cadence of melody and harm, harmony, the worlds were hurled into separate existence, each finding its proper place in accordance with its note. Of course, this can be read in a number of ways. I mean, the thing is, is that all through time, the ancients believed there were multiple worlds. Isn't that interesting? You know, you guys know that I've been really looking into like, like kind of multiple dimensions. That just upsets some people. I don't just I thought of like make them insecure. I don't know, um, you know, like parallel universes stuff like that. They're like, no way, whatever. But you look at this, like the, the ancients, they all believe there are multiple worlds, and they're all trying to comprehend like what's going on here, right? And so you could see this in a number of ways, but. It could be, it could be seen as a replication of Earth. I, I really don't know. I don't really know. It could be, you know, Narnia, right? It's like who, who really knows it? There's other worlds out there. How do we get to them? I don't know. In a perfectly timed cadence of melody and harmony, the worlds were hurled into separate existence, each finding its proper place in accordance with its note. All life is therefore nothing except a response to harmony and melody to the sp spreading ripples and resounding echoes from the first divine hymn, the life awakening song. The only disharmonious notes were those which later emerged from the hearts of sinful men. Hmm. The songs and poems of men poorly stirring the unresponsive heart are futile attempts to recapture some part of the first grand symphony. So. They're saying the greatest works of men, the greatest things you can imagine, the greatest songs you've heard, like orchestras and the, you know, things sung in cathedrals, like they, they're just poor attempts to mirror, to try to grasp how beautiful that original Grand Symphony was. And it'll, it'll never, it'll never happen. At least not from us. Men instinctively know they are musicians in the great orchestra of life singers in the chorus of existence and it's sad and you know unfortunately they say there that the the disharmonious disharmo, disharmonious notes that come from what sinful men and you look at our world and it's full of just sick and twisted songs the song of life still vibrates upon the lute strings of each throbbing heart filling it with responsive vitality on earth it can never be heard in perfection yet it is the here the singing lessons must be learned Right, right there, they just gave you like the theme that they're going to repeat through the whole program, right? Everything on the earth is reflection of the divine. It is imperfect. It is not a, it is not a, uh, let's see, it is not perfection, right? Because we're in the material illusion world. And yet uh, we are here to learn things from above. For once through the dark archway and in the count, the court of splendor, the newly released spirit must introduce itself by song. The good, clean spirit vibrates with a happy, harmonious melody. The clean ruach off here, the clean ruach. While the dull, evil doing 
ruach, or you could say the unclean ruach, rasped out harshly in agonizing discord. I, I could give a story on this. Uh, uh, I was this time that I, you know, encountered this uh, unclean ruach, uh, like this green phantom, and exactly they described it exactly the way it was lashing out in agonizing discord. The first thing the travel-weary homecoming spirit hears is the welcoming notes of the divine melody. That's not nice. Happy are they who harmonize with it. Sorrowful are those who vibrate discordantly. And this is, again, this is going to be a theme you see all through Colburn. So the idea is that when we die, we start to quickly, we leave our bodies behind and our, our ruach starts to manifest into its true nature. And it starts to either become... Uh, I would say go towards the righteous, right? Or go towards the wicked route. And they start realizing who they truly are. Many people maybe think that they're righteous in this life or that they're good people. And that they, then all of a sudden they're like, oh no, I'm one of the wicked. And they say right here, because your, your true nature, like who you are, you're going to, it's the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares. You're going to start harmonizing. You know, you're going to start becoming a part of the choir or you're going to be the problem. Life is a song, sometimes a song of sadness, sometimes a song of joy. Now a dirge, then a hymn echoes through the chambers of creation. Often a gay carol or lilting love song laddens the ear of the air. All this is the song of life. So lift up your hearts and rejoice in the singing soul, which will in days to come rise on ghostly wings to quit the inner circle of woes, where the discordant notes of mortals intermingle with the melodious notes of spirit music, winging its way to where the star, star, uh, star girt chorus sings in glory. That was beautiful. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. Uh, I realized that there was something wrong when I'm reading through all of this. And I'm like, wait a second. I have these other passages and I'm not getting into it. So starting back out where I was. So you're probably wondering why I have the geological columns here. Well, let me just read this verse again and then I'll explain it. The, uh, this is where I paused when I realized something was wrong. The waters brought forth fishes and creatures which move about and twist themselves and wriggle in the waters, like eels and so on and so forth, whales, sharks, right? The serpents and the beasts of terrible aspect, which were of yore, and reptiles which creep and crawl. They There were tall walking things and dragons, hideous form clothed with terror whose great bones may still be seen all right now according to the official narrative dinosaur fossils were not discovered into the 1800s according to this and there's been a couple other sources i i've read but they're like uh, we're digging up these drag these huge dragon bones uh th there was another one i i uh read where they were talking about they were digging up giant bones of giants they were you were putting them on display and so what they're basically saying here is that they're accrediting that these giant dragon bones that they're finding, there were archaeologists back then in Egypt, right? They're digging them up, putting them on display, and they're saying that these came from the, you know, the ancient world before what we know as Genesis 1-2, all right? So I just want to show you this for your consideration. Now, I want to be very clear here. I should have said at the beginning, I am not an evolutionist, all right? No, everyone is an evolutionist, all right? I need to make that clear. Everyone believes in microevolution, all right? So everyone looks at dogs and can see the variation in dogs, 
right? Everyone can see the variations in birds. Everyone can see the variation in cats. You go on and on and on. You can see the, the variation in elephants. We'll, we'll t the, the, they actually talk about microevolution in this text. That's a world apart from macroevolution, all right? So not a macroevolutionist, nor do I believe that the Earth is millions upon millions upon millions of world, uh, years old. It might be, might be, but the fossils actually seem to go against that. Uh, one of the, the great re one of the great uh, uh, proofs for a young young fossils. When I say young, I'm saying like hundred thousand years. Okay, that's old for you, like young Earth creationists. But one of the great proofs is that in fossils, like dinosaur fossils, they're they're cutting them open and they have soft tissue in there. They there have been there have been paleontologists who cut it open and they could smell it. They could smell the soft tissue, and Apparently, this is a big issue for the, the millions of years theory. Now, again, I wasn't there. I don't know how long soft tissue can survive. It's, it's all a theory. They all say it can't survive millions of years, but I don't know. But just hear me out on this, all right? So within the geological column, uh, and I also should stress that I was a young earth creationist for many, many, many years. I mean, I, I fought against any other idea because I thought it was the biblical idea. I thought I was on the right side. I was fighting for the Bible. And then I would hear about, you know, I would start looking into like, say, gap theory. And they would always just, oh, oh, the gap theory. So we destroyed them in the 1800s. Like they're, they're you know, that's old. You're, you're going into, you're going into backwards town when you go there. And, you know, interestingly enough, the flat earthists, the 1800s flat earthists, guys, they were gap theorists. They believed that there was a recreation of it. Um, and, uh, you know, finally coming to looking at Genesis 1 going, yeah, that's a recreation of it. And it's all through the Bible. So um, we, we can see here the, the, the three geological columns. To start here, we see the Paleozoic, the Mesozoic, and the uh, Cenozoic, all right? So now there, there are dozens within each one here. But what a young earth creationist is going to do is they're going to say that every single one of these layers, every single one of these, however many dozens there are, they all came from Noah's flood, right? So the, you know, it was kind of like the tide go washing over and it washes the trilobites and down at the bottom and, you know, these, these little fish. And then, you know, as the waves keep coming over, then the dinosaurs, right? But the mammals somehow survived and then they get up on top. And then, you know, they, they actually have, to my understanding, I could be wrong with this. So my understanding, they've never found a human fossil. All right. So they say, well, they, they were on the top layer. You know, they, 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 they escaped. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Have you guys ever seen, like, it is true. It is true. That even according to Colburn, they talk about these layers. Like, they talk about how the waves washed over and then they washed back. And then people thought that they could, that the flood was gone. They went down and then, boosh, that's what, that's what happens with tidal waves, right? Well, or tsunamis. Well, the thing is, is that when you watch a flood come in, like it, it it's not partial. It, it's not, it's not biased. Like it just wipes everything out, man, elephant, butterfly, you know, snail, everything. Right. So something to consider with this, um, you see three major extinction events. You see a giant extinction event, Never mind the, the, the millions of years over here. All right. I, I could care less about that. You see a, you see a giant, gigantic extinction event. You see another big one. And what's interesting is that with the with the Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous, it, big extinction event, and then afterwards they only find mammals. They're finding mammals, all right, above it. And so the idea is with the Cenozoic is that this is Noah's fault that we're seeing here. Um, and um, now 
so when they're talking about these huge dragons that lived beforehand that the bones that were digging up that would be the mesozoic here now let's say that the earth is uh 7500 years old all right i'm throwing out just a random number well it's not that random those of you, if you know who follow my research you know why i just did 7500 years i'm not going to explain why but let's say we're 7500 years okay from the creation in genesis chapter one uh so let's say that the world was destroyed 500 years before that all right so we're looking at the cretaceous the, the mesozoic 8,000 years ago guys that's not that long ago we could even get really liberal let's say there was like a 20,000 year gap of the void of you know nothing so we're looking at like almost 30,000 years ago when this this happened that's not that long ago that's nothing that's not millions of years so you see what i'm saying so it's not that threatening to say that there was there was this world beforehand it was destroyed and according to this too i don't care what the evolutionists say according to this there were there were uh there were mankind living with these dragons all right so um all right let's keep reading oh yeah so i want to show this out too uh, just to show that there is evidence that there are large dragon creatures that existed with mankind in this creation uh right here we see this mesopotamian cylinder seal uh the one on the left uh, it's in um uh, somewhere in england on display i'm not sure which museum the one on the right is a modern clay you know a seal they 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 basically played with it and you know they they, they took that that seal there and they made the clay uh, to show but you can see these huge sauropod creatures with their tails and i don't know if that's an eagle or a phoenix not really sure what we're looking at uh, i did this uh, a video recently this is the first pharaoh of egypt uh, who i believe is osiris and interestingly enough uh he's a giant you can see this is uh if you see my mouse that's going around here he's right here beating another giant into submission uh that may be uh, well he this is the the pharaoh that unified egypt and you know i have a lot of questions about the scorpion king uh this is is he beating the scorpion king into submission um or what uh, of course the scorpion king might have killed him too but um anyways you see the little people here you see him over here on this next side and he's a giant here with the people afraid of the the normies the little folk and uh right underneath you see these animal trainers and they have these two big sauropods all right so um and then we see right here uh, this is in cambodia in a temple stegosaurus and at first i remember when this started becoming really popular and all the mainstream media said oh it's a hoax it comes from a movie set that was the official story they gave and now even you go like on wikipedia and sites like that they don't even i don't think they bring that up anymore that the, the movie set thing they're just like well yeah it does look like a stegosaurus but it can't be because they weren't alive with man right so and then we see here this comes from uh uh britain it's a fourth century mosaic in uh gloucestershire england and clearly sauropods you know looks very close to sauropods and then once again we see this is really cool uh i i need to do something on this and look more into this this comes from a tomb in a cathedral uh called bishop bell's tomb apparently from 1496 so this point we're talking about the end of the middle ages the end of the dark ages right 500 to 1500 a lot of you know what i'm talking about 1496 and he has two sauropods on his tomb in a cathedral so 
So it's like, what in the world's going on there? All right. All right, getting back to the text. Then came forth from the womb of the earth all the beasts of the field and forest, all the creatures of creation having blood in their bodies, and it was complete. Beasts roamed the dry land, and fishes swam in the seas. There were birds in the skies and worms within the soil. Nice touch there, worms in the soil. There were great land masses and high mountains, wide barren places and heaving waters. Fertile greenness covered the land and abundant life swarmed in the seas. For now earth throbbed with the energy of life. So think of energy, right? The energy of life from music, right? The word, the law, the Torah. We saw the word and the, the law here and the singing, right? Metals lay hidden in her rocks and precious stones within the soil. Gold and silver were scattered and uh, secreted. There was copper for tools and forest of timber. There were swamps of reeds and stones for every purpose. Everything was prepared. Everything was ready. And now earth awaited the coming of man. So we went through the five-day creation model so far. And uh, chapter two, the birth of man, which is kind of, yeah. The love of Allah Hayam, remember I put Allah Hayam in there, the text of God. Love of Allah Hayam penetrated the third veil and became the seed of souls within the soul seed. All right. So penetrating the third veil, um, you know, I, I take that generally when they talk about that to talk about the firmament, right? He, he's beyond the firmament, but he comes down here occasionally. And um, uh, the soul seed, uh, so keep in mind here, it's saying, the seed of souls, right? And the soul seed. I mean, do I need to describe that for you? When I get this idea, so all of this talking, of course, about pre-existence and we were all there, okay? I believe that all of us at the very, very beginning were in the seed of souls or in the, I'm sorry, in the soul seed. We were the seed of souls in the soul seed. Uh, and, you know, this, reading this, because they talk about the soul seed frequently uh, through the Colburn, um, it, it has really made me think about the, the, you know, hopefully this isn't too personal for me, it's made me think about the preciousness of, of my seed or any man's seed, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, preserving it and making sure, you know, it goes in the right, uh, you know, hole in one, right? Uh, because it, it seems to give the same picture that these souls are in like a, like a kind of a, Kind of like a semen type of secretion kind of see same thing the same physical picture the body of man Allah Hayam, made of water and things of the earth that's absolutely true dust and water were what like was it like 60 something percent water or something like that breathing into him the spirit the ruach of life that he might live and remember so this is the exciting thing that our breath our very breath originates from Allah Hayam. That's really exciting to think about uh, that, you know, he can take it back. He breathe, it, it continued down from generation to generation, this living breath that has entered our bodies and he takes it back. But man, when young, lived only to eat and drink and to fornicate for being conscious only of the earth. He knew only earthly things in earthly ways. Religion was not born yet. Now the spirit of Allah Hayam moved over the face of the earth, but was not of the earth. 
Sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? It held all things and was in all things, but on earth could not be apart from anything. Without substance, it was awake, but entering substance, it slept. Wait, I'm going to skip that there. I'll come right back to it. Consider that which was told by, this is going to get really uh, freaky, guys. Consider that which was told by the servants of Ebon, a heaven man, who's heaven man, who once wandered the earth. Well, heaven man had no earthly substance and could not grasp its fruits, for he had no hands. He could not drink its waters, for he had no mouth. What? Nor could he feel the cool winds upon his skin. Wait, what? They tell how the ape tribe, Seelock, led by heaven man, perished by flames for the valley of Lod, only one she-ape reaching the cave heights above. All right, so I'm just going to throw these pictures at you here. Uh, this was discovered in 2014. These are two ancient skulls without mouths. They were reportedly discovered in the cave on Mount Bolshoi. Uh, I can't pronounce that, but in Russia. All right. And uh, so there were two of them found in the cave in a like a tomb, I guess. They were buried and, yeah, they had no mouths. They had very large eyes. Some people are, you know, they're calling these like alien skulls, but it does seem like these are, you know, some people would just say they're they're Nephilim skulls or whatever. I don't really know what they are, but I put these in here because it immediately reminded me of this, that this was, talks about, uh, you know, unable to, uh, now I don't know if they had hands, if they found the rest of the skeleton and they had hands, I'd say, well, sorry, this is not a contender for highway, man. But uh, because they found the skulls and it had no mouth, it's a contender for highway, man. How in the world did something grow this big? This wasn't born deformed and died. This was this grew big, and it uh, had no mouth. So that's really weird. All right, and uh, you know I, I'm thinking here with like this this ape tribe. I'm reminds me of 2001: A Space Odyssey or something. You know, like throw a bone up in the air and it become you know it, they're all all dancing around the monolith or whatever. I don't know what's going on here. This is really strange, but. Even, even the writer knows this is strange, because look what he says. When heaven man was reborn of the she-ape in the cavern of woe, could he taste the fruits of the earth and drink of her waters and feel the coolness of her winds? Did he not find life good? It's right here. It is not all a tale of the courtyard. All right, so when this was written in Egypt, so this is, this is one of the hard things about these ancient books, is that a lot of what they write, it's just like they expect that you have preconceived notions. They expect that... The reader who's reading this knows about heaven man and he's like look there, there's actually truth to this tale there was this heaven man that wandered the earth and he had no mouth and no hands and i know you've heard this but i'm telling you it's it's true interesting enough i guess i was trying to find when i was researching this i couldn't find it but apparently in israel of all places they also found another heaven man type of skull uh with no mouth uh, i was trying to find the records of that i heard some rumors about it. i wasn't able to find the actual evidence for it but kind of sounds like a place they would discover it, frankly. Man created from earthly substance alone could not know things not of earth, nor could spirit alone subdue him. Had man not been created, who would have known Allah Hayam's wisdom and power? As the spirit fills the body of man, so does Allah Hayam fill his creation. Isn't that a cool thought? As the spirit fills the body of man, so does Allah Hayam fill his creation. We are his representative on this earth. Even though everything emanates from him, we are like he has breathed into us. Our spirits derive from the, the, uh, the soul seed, 
Like, you know, he is the father of Ruakov. We are his representative on this earth. Such an exciting thought. And a responsibility. Therefore it was that Alayam saw something had to be which joined earth and spirit and was both. In his wisdom and by the creative impulse which governs the earth, he prepared a body for man. For the body of man is holy of earth. Behold, the great day came when the spirit, which is Alahayam, was joined with the beast, which is earth. Then earth writhed in labor of travail. Her mountains rocked back and forth, and her seas heaved up and down. Earth, I, I kind of feel like this is in, in Hebrew terms. Now, this is remember the Egyptians talking about the beginnings of the world. I feel like if the Hebrews were writing this, they would say this is the Ruach Kakadesh right here. All right, talking about the spirit of Elohim, you know, hovering over the earth and the whole earth is in travail. Then earth writhed in the labor of travail. Her mountains rocked back and forth and her seas heaved up and down. Earth groaned in her lands and shrieked in her winds. She cried in the rivers and wept in her storms. So man was born, born of upheaval and strife. And again, just like in, in uh, you know, in Genesis chapter one, uh, you know, Adam doesn't show up as a unique creation until two, and yet man and woman are created in the first chapter, right? We don't know how many, hundreds, millions, billions, we don't, a dozen, we don't really know. Uh, but same thing here, right? That man was born, plural. Uh, he came wretchedly and tumultuously, the offspring of a distraught earth. All was in discord. Snow fell in the hot wastelands. Ice covered the fertile plains. The forest became seas. Wow. So like the, the oceans are just coming up over the land. Where once it was hot, now it was cold. And where no rain had ever fallen, now there were floods. A lot of like volcanic activity. It's just a lot of things happening. So man, which of course, you know, would, would cool things down, right? Volcanoes and with the covering and just everything is in deceitful. So man came forth, man, the child of calamity, man, the inheritor of a creative struggle. Man, the battleground of extremes. Earth nurtured man with cautious affection, wearing, weaning him in the recesses of her body. Then when he was grown sufficiently to be lifted, so he walked in the uprightness of Allah Hayam. Now, I'm going to stop right here because whenever I read commentary on the Colbert, this still attracts the evolutionists. Like, you're not getting a lot of Christians commenting on this. It's like, these uh agnostic evolutionists that not atheists mind you but agnostic you know ancient aliens and i i read a commentary on this one line here they said uh that he he was grown sufficiently to be lifted so he walked in the uprightness of allah and they said see right there that's proof that's proof that man was uh he you know he walked erect you know he, he was like hunched over and he walked erect and it's like I, I'm not actually reading that there. Um, as much as the biasness of the translator may have maybe in his mind intended that, like scripturally, anytime you, you talk about, you know, walking in uprightness of Allah Hayam, the context here is about, about spiritual um, consciousness. All right. Like you're going to see what I mean when, when Allah Hayam, the spirit, you know, he, he opens his, his eyes and he shows them all the mysteries. All right. So because it said earlier that uh, let me just pan back here. Uh, let's see. Whatever that he was. Um, uh, whatever. 
he was um whatever he was just kind of living life it was fornicating and all that kind of stuff right he had no he he only knew the earth he had no spiritual awareness he didn't know who Allah Hayam was yet but he's about to um so uh she let's see she took him and raised him above all other creatures so that's interesting there's a she reference there and that's not talking about Allah Hayam, by the way that could be that could be either the earth or it could be the uh the spirits of uh Allah Hayam, the, the Ruach HaKadosh she led him even into the presence of Alayam, and she laid him on his great altar. A man imperfect of earthly limitations, a, a thing unfinished, ungainly and unlearned, but proudly was he presented to earth's creator. Not her firstborn was man, the son of earth, the grandchild of Alayam, man, the heir of tribulation and pupil of affliction. Now that's interesting. It's his grandchild right there. Um, it, because you know we, we, he's our father in heaven but we also come from the earth the earth is a womb right um so the earth comes from allah Hayam, and so it kind of makes sense yes he is our father just like you know abraham is our father right uh but you could say he's also our grandfather because you know we come through the earth which is the child of allah Hayam. man to the heir of tribulation and the pupil of affliction Though, keep in mind, that's mortal man is the grandchild. I mean, if we're looking at the creation of our souls, you know, we were beforehand, in pre-existence, we were created by our father. Allah Hayam saw man, the offspring of earth to her uh, Adon, or Adonai, unconscious on the high altar, a sacrifice to him, and a dedication to the spirit of faith. Then from out of the unfathomable, uh, unfathomable heights and from behind the impenetrable veil, I think that's a reference to the firmament. They do say firmament later on in the uh, Colburn, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Allah Hayam came down above the altar and he breathed into man the breath of eternal life. Into his sleeping body, Allah Hayam implanted a fragment of himself the seed of a soul and the spark of divinity. So before this, mankind, you know, didn't have that spark of divinity. Now he does. And it's interesting, he's sleeping here. The same thing he did to Adam, right? He put him into a sleep. And man, the mortal, became man, the heir of Allah Hayam and the inheritor of immortality. Henceforth, he would have dominion over Allah Hayam's earthly estates, but he also had to unravel the circles of eternity. And his destiny was to be an everlasting seeking and striving. Uh, you guys may remember, I came out of a video a couple weeks ago where I quoted from this and I talked about how uh, through history we have these patterns where, well, let me read this first. It, some of you will know immediately what I'm talking about if, you watched, uh, if you've been watching my work and research. Man slept, but Allah Hayam opened the great eye within him. All right, he's talking about the third eye. And man saw a vision of unsurpassed glory. It's amazing. Every single time you, you talk about the third eye, like it exists, guys. Like, you know, I, I know the occult and I know, you know, Kabbalah and other things, right? I but just because they have it, they talk about it, and you choose not to, doesn't make it a cult. All right. It doesn't, it it there's something called controlled opposition. And all these different sides are trying to grasp it, you know, trying to grab these truths and monopolize them. That doesn't make them untrue. 
right? I just want to make that clear. It's like, it's one of those things when you start talking about the pineal gland, all of a sudden it's like, it's like the same sort of um, like guilt people might have over their like private parts or something like that. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, there's some religious people out there where I grew up in these congregations. I know these people. I grew up with them. We're like, sex is icky. Like, it's like, you like, you know, he made us, but Satan came and slapped us on, you know, Satan must have came and given us our pineal gland too, right? Our, our transmitter, our receiver to, you know, to actually hear from above and communicate with above. And I think that these, you know, we're in a sad state where we're at, right? Like our, our transmission is not so hot in this day and age for a lot of reasons, you know, the geoengineering, the food and just the poisons everywhere. They're just, you know, hardening the calcium and all that kind of stuff. He heard, so anyways, he opens the great eye, right? He heard the voice of Allah Hayam saying, oh man, in your hand is now placed the tablet of your inheritance and my seal is upon it. Know that all you desire within your heart may be yours. But first it is necessary that you be taught its value. The whole of the earth is filled with things of usefulness. They are prepared to your hand for a purpose, but the task is upon you to seek them out and learn their use. This is the tuition for the management of your inheritance. What you know to be good, seek for all, seek for, and it shall be found. You may plumb the seas and pluck the stars. You may live in everlasting glory and savor eternal delights. Above and below and all about, there is nothing beyond your reach. All within one exception is yours to attain. Then Allah Hayam laid his hand upon man, saying, Now you are even as I, except you sleep. And they're enclosed in matter in the kingdom of illusion. So there it is. So uh, you, we live enclosed in matter, you know, kind of, you know, this, this fleshiness in the kingdom of illusion, right? That's why I said, like, we should go to, like, just, you know, it's funny because, like, we're held back by firmament. We can't go through it. But we should be able to just go through walls and everything like that. Well, I dwell here in the freedom of reality and truth i love that like that he's saying the heavenly realm is reality and it's truth and and even though it emanates below it becomes murkier and muddier you know and it, it's it's harder to to dissect and understand it, especially with all the lies around us and all the deception it is it, and it, again just to quote paul for all the but paul people out there right you know through a glass darkly it is not for me to come down to you but for you to reach out to me. Our unborn friends, whatever your circumstances of life, you are the children of the past and heirs of those who have lived and died. We trust you have no cause to reproach those who once held stewardship over your estate. But whatever you think of the heritage, you cannot put it aside any more than you can refuse that man then saw a vision of glory encompassing even the spheres of splendor. Unbounded wisdom filled his heart. And he beheld beauty in perfection. The ultimate truths and justice were unveiled before him. He became one with the profound peace of eternity and knew the joys of unceasing gladness. They're saying, like you, whatever you feel about your ancestors, it, there's you know a lot of uh, you know groups out there right now, people groups, and you're being fed these lies about how they're to be bitter about the past and you know ancestors. And they're like, look, look, here's something you can't deny that that. There was a time when just religion exploded and it just came into man. And this is even found, you know, however we feel about the 
our controllers and the archaeologists, the narrative lines up with this, where they talk about how they're just baffled too that all of a sudden just religion was born. It just it's like where did it come from? It didn't evolve. It just was there. It just like uh, with Mesopotamian society, they can't explain where it came from. It was just there one day, just boom, just there, and it was a very religious society. The eternal ages of time unrolled as a scroll before his eyes. So this is man and his having this vision, and he's seeing as a scroll unrolling, he's seeing the eternal age. He's seeing everything, right? And he saw written thereon all that was to become and occur. Whoa. The great vaults of heaven were opened up unto him, and he saw the everlasting fires. And so the, the darkness, right, the vault, the, the firmament, it opens up to him, and he sees into heaven. He sees the um, the everlasting fires and unconsumable powers that strove therein. He felt within himself the stirring of inexpressible love. And it's interesting that, you know, because we we're, we're always taught in Christianity that the fire is below, right? But text after text after text, Hebrew text, like Baruch and others, they talk about the fires above. They talk about even the lake of fire above, right? And they're seeing these everlasting, like heaven is filled with fire. And it's the people of fire, right? The people of the flames, the mind of flames, um, that the, the 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 righteous can walk through the flames and be fine. He felt within himself the stirring of inexpressible love, and unlimited designs of grandeur filled his thoughts. His spirit ranged unhampered through all the spheres of existence. He was then even as Allah Allah Hayam himself, and he knew the secret of the seven spheres within three spheres. Um, that's something, I, man, I, I've come across uh, several, I, I've come across other quotes like this. Uh, that uh, Was it Jeremiah or what, what? I can't remember the book. I'm live right now. I can't remember the book. But this idea that we have, you know, like the seven, the menorah has seven candles, uh, the, the biblical one, not the, the modern uh, Jewish one. And, you know, we have the seven planets. And, uh, of course, I think uh, Pluto is a hoax. And people are like, what about Pluto? Well, I don't know. I don't know about Pluto. Uh, but we have the seven planets, you know, and so, uh, but then we have the, the three spheres, right? So we have the, the lower realm, the, the ether with the firmament and then heaven above. And yet there are, uh, there are apparently seven heavens according to some texts, but then it's the mystery of the seven within the three. So, you know, what's going on with that? And I'd like to unravel that, Mark. I think there's something very esoteric going. I've heard different explanations, but for me, I, I, I'm unsettled about them. Um, so that's something I want to look into more. But these people apparently, <laughs> they knew what it was. And again, like they're talking about like all these worlds encompassed within the seven, within the three. Then Allah Hayam lifted his hand for man and man was alone. The great vision departed and he awoke only a dim and elusive recollection. No more than the shadow of a dream remains. But deep within the sleeping, so it's it's like it's like uh, in the video I put out, or it was in a paper I wrote. I used the uh, the movie Hook, the Steven Spielberg Hook movie. It came out in 1991. I remember seeing it in the theaters when it came out. Um, and I could never understand as a child and even as a young man that the the whole plot was hitched on this this point that or hung on this idea that uh, Peter Pan, played by, by Robin Williams, he forgot he was Peter Pan. And he grew up and he had no memory of it. I'm like, how in the world do you forget that you're Peter Pan? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But then if you're paying attention at the very end, he wakes up at a statue of Pan in the park. I know, just, you know, work with me here, right? 
let's I'm not talking about pedophilia and all that right now. But he wakes up in, the, in a, a, a statue. Of he now he's gone through his whole journey. He remembers he's Peter Pan now, and Tinkerbell is there, and she says that uh, she will always be there. Uh, how did she phrase it? I, I, I quoted in my paper, but she's like, you know, but, you know, in that space between your sleep and waking, right? And it was really interesting because then I'm like, I finally got it one day. I'm like, okay, I see. Because when you wake up from a dream, you're in a very, uh, you know, the more disciplined person, you can discipline yourself to remember your dreams or many of your dreams and be able to recite them. And you, you have to, when you wake up and you remember your dream, you got to, you got to, think about it right away you got to you know focus on it or else you're in danger of forgetting it and that's the whole thing at the ending of hook if you're paying attention is that he's in a very dangerous spot because if he's undisciplined he can go about his life and he can forget it all over again you know um and because of course you know uh neverland takes place in the you know ethereal realm you know astral projection all this kind of stuff right third eye all that good stuff uh and so we're seeing the same thing here when mankind awoke you know, their, their eye was closed, they woke up from their dream, from their vision, and they immediately started forgetting it. They forget, started forgetting everything. But what they did remember was the fact that they had the dream, even if they couldn't remember the details. They, they had it. The spark, it, the divine spark, you know, was there. And that's where they mankind spent the rest of his existence seeking that dream, that vision, you know, trying to reclaim that and trying to figure out the mysteries. But deep within the sleeping soul, there was a spark of remembrance, and it generated within man a restless longing for he knew not what. Right? So we all have a longing. And we it, it, it manifests itself in many different ways, right? We call it daddy issues and mommy issues and all sorts of things, right? And ultimately, all of our issues, I think, really, really come down to, you know, discovering our father. And how we feel about him, you know, whether we love him or hate him, or any wide range of emotions, whatever it is, you know, we, whether we think of him as a as a good cop, bad cop, or whatever we, you know, whatever we come up with. Henceforth, man was dis, dis, uh, destined to wander discontented, seeking something he felt he knew but could not see, something which continually eluded him, perpetually goaded him and forever tantalized him. This is so good. Deep within himself, man knew something greater than himself was always with him and part of him, spurring him on to greater deeds, greater thoughts, greater aspirations. So it's all that divine spark within us that, that drives man to do great things or evil things um, and destroy you know, the, that spark. It was something out beyond himself, scarcely realized and never found. Something which told him that the radiant scene on the horizon but dimly reflected the hidden glory beyond it. Man awoke, the revelation and vision gone. Only the grim reality of Earth's untamed vastness surrounded him. But when he arose and stepped down onto the bosom of his mother Earth, he was undaunted by the great powers that beset him or by the magnitude of the task ahead. Within his heart, he knew destiny lay beyond the squalor of his environments. He stepped out nobly, gladly accepting the challenge. He was now a new man. He was different. He looked above and saw glory in the heavens. He saw beauty about him. So he's, he's becoming an artist now, right? He's able to 
be able to reflect the beauty that he sees around him and, and kind of create. And he knew goodness and things not of the earth, right? So he knew he knows heavenly things. He knows he knows that these things are pointing to something greater. The vision of eternal values arose before his inner eye. His spirit was responding to its environment. Man was now man, truly man. The nature of man on earth was formed after the nature of things in heaven. And man had all things contained as potential within himself, except divine life. But he was as yet an untrained, undisciplined child, still nurtured simply upon the comforting bosom of earth. Man grew in stature, but earth was not indulgent, for she disciplined him firmly. Now, this paragraph right here, again, it's going to delve into what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And if you feel a certain way, then you're misinterpreting all of us, right? So pay attention. This is the continual theme throughout the Colton. She was ever strict and unyielding, the earth, with man, chast chastening him often with blast of displeasure. It was indeed the upbringing of one destined for greatness. He was made to suffer cold, that he might learn to clothe himself, sent into the barren places that his limbs should be strengthened, and into forest, that his eyes should become keen and his heart strong. He was perplexed with different problems and set the task of unraveling the illusions of nature. He was beset with hardships of every description. He was tested with frustrations and tempted with allurements. Never did earth relax the vigilance of her supervision. Hopefully my internet is um, good for you guys. It looks like choppy for me. I don't know if I'm coming in clear for you, but. The child was raised sternly, for he needed the fortitude, courage, and cunning of a man to fit him for the task ahead. He grew wily and wiry in the hunt. He became adaptable, able to cope with any untoward happening. Overcoming the bewilderments of early days, he found explanations for the perplexities of his surroundings. Yet the struggle for knowledge, the need for adaptation, and the effort to survive were never relaxed. The earth child was well-trained and disciplined. He was never unduly mollycoddled. He cried for bread and went hungry. He shivered and was cast out. He was sick and driven into the forest. Weary, he was lashed with storms. Thirsty, he found the waters dry. When weak, his burden was increased. And in the midst of rejoicing, he was struck down with sorrow. In moments, he cried enough and doubted his destiny. What is his destiny? The heavenly realm. You know something beyond our own but always something fortified and encouraged him the earthling never fortified his god likeness for man was man he was not cowed nor his spirit broken a wise allah hayam knew his limitations as it is written in the wisdom of men over chastisement is as bad as no chastisement at all they they actually say the same thing in the book of wisdom but man was rarely chastised he was tried tested and challenged there's there's a key right there right we're we're here to be tried tested challenged he was led prodded and urged yet nothing was done unnecessarily so everything has a purpose all right all those everything that you know when you feel discouraged and everything like everything here has a purpose the seeming imperfections of earth the hazards and inequalities of life 
the cruelty, the harshness, and apparent indifference to suffering and affliction are not what they seem. And here's, here's the line I want you guys to walk away from tonight. As it is, earth is perfect for its purpose, all right? Earth with its four seasons, with its, uh, with its rain, its floods, its droughts, its fires, its hurricanes, its, its, uh, its Arctic colds, its you know, living you know, hunger and, and, and striving for shelter and, and to survive and to overcome, all right? Earth is perfect for its purpose. And it's not, nothing is too hard that we can't overcome. Next line, it is ignorance of that purpose which makes it appear imperfect, all right? So, and I was raised under this, uh, you know, banner, this kind of kind of the young creationist banner that, that the earth was perfect and now it's not, that it wasn't created this way. And if you think it wasn't, you're wrong, right? But according to this, and, and I have to, this is one of the things that I had to disagree with the old earthers because I'm like, so you're saying there was death? And all this kind of stuff. Yes, there was. Um, yes, death came through Adam, but he was, we come from his lineage, right? He was a representation and he fell, right? So death came through Adam. It's not to say that there wasn't death before him. I know right there that triggered some people. I know some people are, you know, like, ah, like writing, you know, writing their congressman over this, but, or their local pastor or whatever. But uh, it, yeah, the, this earth was perfectly created to bring us here to test us and try us and see if we are worthy to be sons of Allah Hayal. Where is there a wiser father than the spirit of Allah Hayal? Isn't that interesting? It's wisdom, spirit of Allah Hayal. I think that's kind of a, you know, even if even if the Egyptians, uh, the people writing this, is imperfect in their knowledge, they're, they're making a connection between the Ruach HaKadosh and wisdom, right? And, uh, or a better mother than earth. And of course, uh, 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 second Baruch, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, second Ezra uh, calls, uh, says uh, the earth is our mother. Don't quote me on that. I actually wrote that in a paper. It's either it's either Enoch, second Baruch, second Ezra. I have to recall. It's one of those. What man is now he owes to these? May he learn to be duly grateful. Above all, let him never forget the lessons learned in his upbringing. All right, we're going to read one more chapter tonight. I'm starting to wilt like a flower, uh, like a pretty flower. I'm starting to wilt. Um, but I think I can do this tonight. This is an awesome chapter. Destruction and recreation. It is known, and the story comes down from ancient times, that there was not one creation but two. Now, I read to you from the legends of the Yahudim that there were multiple creations and recreations. They're saying two here. Of course, by their taking their own advice that they don't even know, they're just saying they're. I think by two, they're just saying more than one, uh, a creation and a recreation. All right, so we're coming into the modern age, and of course, later on, not in this book, but the next book that follows, they even get into Noah's flood. All right, a spoiler alert. So uh, this, this this is what they're going to talk about here is not Noah's flood, just in case anyone wants to write that in the comments. It is a fact known to the wise that the earth was utter, utterly destroyed once, then reborn on a second wheel of creation. Why is it a wheel of creation? Because time is cyclical, right? It keeps repeat. It's not. It's it's not like 
in evolution where it just has this mysterious beginning and a mysterious end and you don't know where it's going. It's just going in somewhere random. It just keeps going around and around and repeats itself like clockwork. So we know that it's going to be destroyed again and, you know, it's going to keep going. At the time of the great destruction of Earth, Allah Hayyam caused a dragon from out of heaven to come and encompass her about. All right. So a dragon is coming out of through the firmament from above in heaven. And by the way, I mean, uh, I'm convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm highly speculative, according to multiple texts. Uh, 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 Sheol itself is actually a dragon. All right. That it, that the, the souls go into the belly of the dragon. And this is, uh, it might even be the Leviathan. Um, you know, talking about like breaking the, the teeth of the Leviathan, which is the, the, the bars, which is something Yahushua HaMashiach did when he broke into Sheol. And the uh, third Baruch talks about that the, the, the giant dragon is where, you know, Sheol is, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, this dragon comes down to create great death. Uh, let's see. The dragon was frightful to behold. It lashed its tail. It breathed out fire and hot coals. And a great catastrophe was inflicted upon mankind. The body of the dragon was wreathed in a cold, bright light. And beneath on the belly was a ruddy hue glow. While behind it trailed the flowing tail of smoke. It spewed out cinders and hot stones. And its breath was foul and stenchful, poisoning the nostrils of men. So now you know why I put a, a, a flaming dragon on uh, the cover of this video its passage caused great thunderings and lightnings to rend the thick darkened sky all heaven and earth became uh, being made hot the seas were loosed from their cradles and rose up pouring across the land there was so uh here we're seeing the even the there's floodwaters coming up coming over the land i mean this is total destruction there was an awful shrilling trumpeting which outpowered even the howling of the unleashed winds. Men, reminds me of like the those apocalyptic, you know, trumpets that I got into those back in 2015. Uh, you know, people have been talking for years, and people hear the trumpet blast. Men stricken with terror went mad at the awful sight in the heavens. They were loosed from their senses and dashed about crazed, not knowing what they did. The breath was sucked from their bodies, and they were burnt with a strange ash. Then it passed, leaving earth enwrapped within a dark and glowing mantle, which was readily lit up inside. The bowels of the earth were torn open in great writhing upheavals, and a howling whirlwind rent the mountains apart. The wrath of the sky monster was loosed in the heavens. It lashed about in flaming fury, roaring like a thousand thunders. It poured down fiery destruction amid a welter of thick black blood. So awesome was the fearfully aspected thing that the memory mercifully departed from man. His thoughts were smothered under a cloud of forgetfulness. The earth vomited forth great gusts of foul breath from awful mouths opening up the midst of the land. The evil breath bit at the throat before it drove men mad and killed them. Those who did not die in the manner were smothered under a cloud of red dust and ashes or swallowed by the yawning mouths of earth or crushed beneath crashing rocks. This sounds pretty, pretty bad. The first sky monster was joined by another. What? 
which swallow the tail of the one going before it. Wait, what? So <laughs> talking about the Ouroboros here, right? We're talking about the, the, the circle of time, right? And one dragon comes out. Now, with the Ouroboros, it's typically one drag, you know, one serpent dragon coming around eating its own tail, right? Uh, talking about just repeated time. But with this, now there are two dragons, and they're kind of like circling the sky, going after each other, and it's like, you know, grabbing each other's tail. That's the way they're describing this. And it said, but the two could not be seen at once. All right. So that's how big these dragons were. They were so big that if you were on the earth looking up, the entire sky would be encompassed by this dragon, your, the, your side of horizon. But you couldn't even see the whole of one dragon because you couldn't see the two of them together. That's how big these guys were. I mean, massive. The sky monsters reigned and raged above the earth, doing battle to possess it. But the mini-bladed sword of Allah Hayam cut them in pieces. Why is this so familiar? I, I wish I would have put, like, what is it, Psalms in here? Where he, Yahuwah talks about, um, actually that might be Allah Hayam in that passage, I'm not sure. But he talks about uh, using Leviathan for sport and cutting them up. So, uh, yeah. And even the 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 uh, Mesopotamian, like the Sumerian stories, talk about the same thing about Leviathan at the beginning, at the dawn of time, and their falling bodies enlarged the land and the sea. All right, so right here it just said these dragons were so large when they were killed, they fell down to the earth, and they became the continents. All right, so this picture right here, uh, of course, I'm not the first to show you this. This has been going around for a while. Uh, you know, uh, you could see, um, uh, it was at Mud Fossil University, I think it is, that talks about this a lot. And you could see this uh, mass, I don't know if you can see my mouse, but like right now, I, right now I'm pointing to it, the dragon's mouth. You see it's wide open. You can see right here, this whole trail here looks like, um, looks like, like it's insides coming out, like fluid blood uh coming out and but this dragon has been slain he died and um people keep telling me that he's eating a fish oh yeah the, he 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 was eating a giant fish and the fish slit his throat right i mean no i mean this is this is not a giant fish this is his insides coming out you can see his neck going snap it kind of snapped back here here's his whole body you can see a wing up here you can see the tail going all the way across here See his two feet. I mean, he's covering, he's going all the way from the Sahara over through uh, up to Egypt. This is a massive, if this is a dragon, and I think there's good reason to think maybe it is. And remember, this is in Egypt, they're talking about this, and they have a memory of this that it enlarged the land right there. Northern Africa was enlarged, but and so you could even imagine that. Uh, even a lot of this here may be built up as like almost sediment afterwards or whatever. I don't know. And that just is like his decayed body. It just became, became the, the land, the continent. Uh, I have a closer picture right here. Yeah. So here you can see a little bit better the uh, maybe his uh, hands right here, his neck, his mouth, his eye. Um, yeah. This could be the, the dragon that ended the last world. In this manner, the first earth was destroyed by calamity descending from out of the skies. 
The vaults of heaven had opened to bring forth monsters more fearsome than any that ever haunted the uneasy dreams of men. Men in their dwelling places were gone, only sky boulders and red earth remained where once they were. But amidst all the desolation, a few survived. That's kind of an interesting thought. So according to this, mankind was not wiped out. Now, there are, you know, you read the book of Enoch when it talks about the what appears to be the, the former destruction of the earth. It seems like nobody survived. I don't know. You just see he's like cities vacant and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't mean that nobody survived unless it specifically says that no one survived. I don't know. Um, but this says that there were. But amidst all the desolation, a few survived, for man is not easily destroyed. They crept out from caves and came down from the mountainsides. Their eyes were wild and their limbs trembled, their bodies shook, and their tongues lacked control. Their faces were twisted and their skin hung loose on their bones. <laughs> Do you want to survive that? I mean, it sounds pretty bad. Their skin hung loose on their bones. They were as maddened wild beasts driven into an enclosure before flames. They knew no law, being deprived of all the wisdom they once had. And I think that right there explains why the, why the world was destroyed. They, they basically, they were filled with this wisdom, this vision of heaven. And then it seemed like they're deprived, they're depraved people now, right? They have no more wisdom. And those who had guided them were gone. Uh, and I, I don't see any other reason why the world would be destroyed unless if they completely failed in their mission. The earth, only true altar of Allah Hayyam, had offered up a sacrifice of life and sorrow to atone for the sins of mankind. Man had not sinned indeed, but in the things that he had failed to do. Man suffers not only for what he does, but for what he fails to do. So, I mean, think about that, right? So we, we, think, we often think about sin in a context of doing evil to others, and that's true. Man suffers not only for what he does, but then there are things he fails to do. Like I've had the, the most conversations I have with people is where I'm trying to tell them that there is this law of heaven. It's, you know, we have the first five books of the Bible. It's the Torah. It's the law of heaven. And that sinning is failing to do that, right? It, it, it's not just doing evil to others. It's what you fail to do is also sin. It's transgression. And we suffer as a result of that. We choose the curse. He is not chastised for making mistakes, but for failing to recognize and rectify them. Then the great canopy of dust and cloud, which encompassed the earth, enshrouding it in heavy darkness, was pierced by ruddy light. And the canopy swept down in great cloudbursts and raging uh, uh, storm waters. Cool moon tears were shed for the distress of earth and the woes of men. When the light of the sun pierced the earth's shroud, bathing the land in its revitalizing glory the earth again knew night and day for there were now times of light and times of darkness the smothering canopy rolled away and the vaults of heaven became visible to man the foul air was purified and the new air clothed the reborn earth shielding her from the dark hostile void of heaven it sounds to me like well let me just finish this and maybe i'll have a few more comments the rainstorm ceased to beat upon the faces of the land, and the water stilled the turmoil. Earthquakes no longer tore the earth open, nor was it burned and buried by hot rocks. Sounds like a lot of volcanic activity, a lot of just, you know. The land masses were reestablished in stability and solidarity, of solidity, standing firm in the midst of the surrounding water. So remember now, it's, it's like, you know, the earth coming out of the waters again. 
the oceans fell back to their assigned places, so the ocean swept over the land, and the land stood steady upon its foundations. The sun shone upon land and sea, and life was renewed upon the face of earth. Rain fell gently once more, and clouds of fleece floated across dark skies, across day skies. The waters were purified, the sediment sank, and life increased in abundance. Life was renewed, but it was different. Man survived, but he was not the same. The sun was not as it had been, and a moon had been uh, taken away. That's really interesting. Man stood in the midst of renewal and regeneration. So apparently, according to this, there were two moons. I guess that's what it means. He looked up into the heavens above in fear for the awful powers of destruction lurking there. Henceforth, the placid skies would hold a terrifying secret. Man found the new earth firm and the heavens fixed. He rejoiced, but also feared, for he lived in dread that the heavens would again bring forth monsters and crash about him. When men came, when men came forth from their hiding places and refuges, uh, refuges, the world their fathers had known was forever gone. The face of the land was changed, and earth was littered with rocks and stones which had fallen when the structure of heaven collapsed. So I'm, I'm getting a few hints here throughout this, and it seems to be saying that the firmament was destroyed. Right, so it had to be refashioned again. That's that's what I'm getting from this. One generation groped in the desolation of Duke and gloom, and as the thick darkness was dispelled, its children believed they were witnessing a new creation. Time passed, memory dimmed, and the record of events was no longer clear. Generation followed generation, as, and as the ages unfolded, new tongues and new tales replaced the old. All right. So uh, I'm going to pause it there tonight. I'm going to end it there. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I mean, I just, that was an incredible read. And um, I hope I, you guys enjoyed listening to that and reading along as much as I enjoyed reading it. And I don't have much more comment tonight. Um, it was already overwhelming. Next week, we'll pick up with chapter four. We'll probably do four, five, and six. And then the following week, seven and eight. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to go into the Egyptian version of the Garden of Eden story and the coming of Adam and Eve and so on and so forth. Um, and I want to stress again that I think there's a lot of wisdom here. I think there's a lot of knowledge here. I think there's a lot of history here. Also, I wouldn't be reading. I wouldn't be reading this to you if I thought it was fiction. But just so my listeners know that, you know, I always take. Uh, I, I believe the Bible. I believe scripture because it is the testimony of Yahuwah. All right. And Yahuwah is the Alahayam of Yasharel. And he is the Alahayam, the, the God, the Elohim that I'm in a covenant with. And I take his word. Um, and so, um, but uh, I, f I feel like this filled in a lot of pieces. Okay. So that's all. It's getting late. It's uh, come on 12 o'clock where I'm at. So, um, it's, I think it's like one o'clock on the East Coast time. So before this becomes a late, late show, I want to end it here. Shabbat Shalom, one last time, guys. Get get a lot of rest. I'm going to be resting tomorrow. I'm going to sleep in. If my my uh, 16 month old daughter doesn't jump on me in about ooh five and a half hours, she's going to be doing uh, somersaults on me in bed and waking me up. And she's going to say, "I wake up now." That's what she says. She, I wake up now, Daddy. So uh, <laughs> uh, I already miss her. And I'm rambling. So good night, everybody. Love you guys. See you guys around.